0: Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding. To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hello and welcome to Ask Andrew, episode 9, in which I enter with fear and trembling into the next question about Christian classical education. In the last episode, we addressed the question, what is a virtue? And we at least skimmed the question, how is it cultivated? Now we're going to talk about the question, what is wisdom? And we'll at least skim the question, how is it cultivated? It, you know what's interesting is it might actually be easier in this case to talk about how it's cultivated than what it is. I come with a certain degree of fear and trembling to this topic. When I saw that I was addressing the question, what is wisdom, and got serious about it, um, something... <laughs> let's just say I lost all my confidence. Two sessions ago, we talked about how Christian classical education better enables a student a child to know, glorify, and enjoy God. And that led me to consider the question of what what virtue is, because the contention is that the virtuous person can better glorify and enjoy and know God. Well, also the better, the, the wise person is better able to know, glorify, and enjoy God. But that's a... That's, that's, that's a difficult matter to reduce to a, I don't know, an Ask Andrew podcast. Will you bear with me as I try to think about how we can cultivate wisdom and what it is? And can we begin by looking at the verses that we just read? Or even add to them some other verses from Proverbs The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. He begins by saying what he's trying to achieve. Six different things. One, to know wisdom and instruction. To know wisdom and instruction. We're accustomed to... As Americans, as, as modern people, we're accustomed to a certain perception or, or, or way of thinking about knowledge and wisdom. I think there's a tendency, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's a tendency for us to think of knowledge as something in the head. I've heard the, the phrase head knowledge quite a lot, and then we contrast that with something in the heart. And my concern here is that typically then the heart becomes the seat of the emotions. So we have the mind that is rational and we have the heart that is emotional. And then we get in arguments about which way we should go. And one group of people wants to be rational. The other group of people says, no, 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 the the heart guides us. But what if the dichotomy is false from the beginning? I think it is. I think that the biblical notion of the heart is not referring primarily even to our emotions, but to the the deep, deep, deep inside self, the unwavering always self self, the, the true self. As a man thinks in his heart, says our Lord, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Well, he doesn't say how you think in your mind, and he also doesn't say how he feels in his heart, but how he thinks in his heart. So there's a way of thinking that's, that's, that's not just the mind, and it's not reduced to feeling, but it sinks from the mind into the heart, I suppose, or maybe arises from the heart into the mind, the point being that there's a deep inner self that we all have that's pretty unapproachable, a great mystery, and that's the heart. I, I believe tentatively, I, I think, that, that th- since we are a temple, this part I do believe, since we are a temple, we have within us the Holy of Holies, and that Holy of Holies is, is the place where God in, is meant to indwell us, the place where we should be meeting with him, deep within us. That's the place where the rivers of water will flow out. And I think that's the heart. Sometimes in Greek it's called the nous, which is sometimes translated mind. But the Greeks even had a different conception of mind. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is both the Greeks and the Hebrews Had a different conception of mind than just this place where we do our calculating and figuring things out and analyzing. It's the place where we're our true selves. What I'm getting at, I think, is that if we're going to have true wisdom, that's where it's going to be. It's going to be by coming to terms with that deep inner self and relating it rightly to that outside world. To know wisdom and instruction is not simply to memorize it. I find it fascinating, for example, that in the book of Genesis, the very first use of the word know in the entire Bible, I believe, is Adam knew Eve, his wife. Which casts an interesting light on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, doesn't it? If you eat of this tree, maybe that's the first reference, you will... You will know both good and evil. Well, it didn't mean that you'll be able to memorize charts and diagrams about good and evil. It meant that you will have a personal, direct encounter, a soulish perception, a spiritual perception even, of what is good and what is evil. You won't be outside good and evil looking at it. You'll be experiencing good and evil. What Adam knew Eve, his wife the fruit of that knowledge was children wisdom is vindicated by her children says our lord knowledge bears fruit we need to remember that when we think about how we're teaching our children when we think about what knowledge means we don't want to turn it into something detached something that we we now of course there's a sense in which sometimes you sit outside something and think about it analyze it you know you you can approach a book from the outside but you don't know a book if you never enter the experience of the book you don't know yourself if you just read books about yourself you don't know anything apart from a personal encounter dare i say it even heart to heart to know wisdom and instruction that's the first goal of the book of proverbs the second is to discern the sayings of understanding. The third is to receive instruction in wise behavior, as this translation puts it. it. gives a list, four things. and To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. Those are four things that make up wisdom. Wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. In other words, the way you behave, the things you do, the inner character, the way you relate to other people... The refusal to try to lord it over other people, these are crucial to being wise. Then to give prudence to the naive. That's the fourth purpose of the book of Proverbs, and that's why I love to come back to it. In other words, wisdom is the opposite of naivete. Prudence takes us out of our naivete. And then to the youth, the assumption here, of course, is that the youth is naive And he needs knowledge and discretion. Then he interrupts himself and he says, a wise man will hear and increase in learning and the man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Then he comes back to the sixth reason, to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. So if we want to become wise, we've got some great instruction here on how to cultivate it. Hear, listen, increase in learning, acquire wise counsel. And if you read the book of Proverbs, interestingly, you will become better at understanding a proverb. And notice the words he uses, a proverb and a figure. The words of the wise and their riddles. The word there for figure in the Greek translation is parabola, a parable. Maybe he means a metaphor, an image. The wise speak, but they speak in riddles. And that can drive us crazy when all we want is some kind of practical guidance. And that's why, in a way, the, the author of Proverbs is so clever. Because, you know, you want, if you're one of the, the people who thinks of himself as ultimately practical, you probably love the book of Proverbs. The wise man builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with their own hands. Sorry, the wise woman. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will protect them. It, these are practical counsels, aren't they? But according to chapter 1, they're also riddles, figures. He doesn't intend us to just read them and act on them without thinking about them, without reflecting on them. In chapter 2, he begins another section by saying this, "'My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding.' For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. He's given us quite a bit of counsel here, hasn't he? Receive my words, treasure my commandments, make your ear attentive, incline your heart, cry. A lot of verbs here. If we do all of that, we will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Why? For the Lord gives wisdom. Wisdom. Chapter 3, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Chapter 4, hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding, for I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. Proverbs, chapter 5, my son... Wow, four 420, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Chapter 5, verse 1, my son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. Chapter 6. My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, if you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this, my son, and deliver yourself. Humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise. Chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live in my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, You are my sister. And call understanding your intimate friend. Chapter 8, one of my favorite chapters. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights, besides the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. O naive ones, understand prudence. O fools, understand wisdom. Listen, for I will speak noble things. So, what is wisdom? I don't know. Certainly it includes knowledge of how to live. But what does that mean? Wisdom seems to be some kind of deep inner perception of reality and the recognition that there's more to reality than just what the body can perceive, that there's a need to contemplate. There's a need sometimes to simply enter into a silent space and, and reflect and listen and notice, notice that we don't listen to ourselves, but we listen. we listen to the voice of wisdom. We listen to the instructions of a father. What is wisdom and how is it cultivated? I think wisdom for the Christian is the eternal mind of God. Sort of dripping, is that a terrible thing? To, way to put it? Diffusing itself into our very heart of hearts. And how is it cultivated? We seek it. We ask for it. Whatever opportunity we have to hear something, we listen to. And We use discernment. We dwell upon, we reflect upon riddles of the wise. And We recognize one thing about wisdom that she's always calling us. She's not hidden. She's present everywhere. And if we ask God, without doubting, without being double-minded, if we really want wisdom, he who gives to all men liberally will give wisdom to us. In a way, you could say that anything that we encounter can become a source of wisdom if we offered up to God. In another way, I think that a hunger for wisdom leads us to the wisest writers, makes us very careful about what we think about, and then makes us bring the wisdom we discover into our hearts first, where it can change us, and then into our circumstances, where perhaps by grace we can We can actually change circumstances, but without wisdom, may the Lord have mercy on anybody I impact. Well, I'm out of time. I hope this had some value for you. May the Lord remember you in his kingdom.